All right, so um, this it's been a while. Um, I don't I can't remember. I was looking. I've got a chart that kind of lists out um, who taught when and all that stuff. And it's been a few years, so I'm a little nervous. I'm a little rusty. Um, I am not a good gauger of time. Although I've got that giant clock, which is now functioning properly. It's got the signal that we're good. Um, so we might end up early. Um, I don't know. Hopefully we'll end late because we've got to go into the worship service. Yeah, Julie, she knows when to end it. It's the, it's the music that brings us to it. She'll start playing. So, um, uh, but, so give, me, give me a couple weeks just to sort of get my legs back under me. I'm, I'm used to sitting in a chair in the fellowship hall doing the new members class. That's, that seems like well, that's what I've done for the past several years. And I love doing it. Um, but this is a little different. Now, I'm also going to try to approach this differently than I do, you know, did with our Romans Bible study and now our Philemon Bible study. Um, it won't typically be a verse-by-verse explication. There's no way. There's no way. The Gospel of Luke is too long. It's the longest book in the New Testament um, uh, by, by verses, by words. Um, and my, my thinking is that this will probably take two quarters. Um, so it's a 24-chapter book. We'll do hopefully a chapter-ish a week. We, you know, we, may over, we may go over. It depends on the, the pericope, the... Uh, the the passage itself and what fits together. And, you know, sometimes passages the they go beyond a chapter heading because those were added or a chapter marking. What was that word you just said? Pericope. Um, it looks like pericope. That's my new But word it's pericope. Right. Yeah. And so. Yeah, great word. Write it down. Remember it. Memorize it. Look it up. <laughs> um, so uh, so but we're going to try to break it down into twenty four classes. Um, what I don't know yet, and what the session will work on this uh, in the coming weeks or, or months, we may break at the end of February, go into something else for the spring quarter, and then resume in the fall, or we may just carry on through. We'll see. It, it, part of it depends on whether we have a, enough um, people interested in doing a new members class to kind of break away from this for a time, but we'll work all that out. But we'll, um, the plan is, at the very least, to make it through Chapter 12 by the end of February, um, and then we'll determine whether to continue on after that or, or resume in the fall. Um, so that's kind of the lay of the land. Uh, but today is just an introduction. And, and the way that Luke starts, it's very helpful because he starts with an introduction. And so um, we're going to do an intro to the book, but we're also going to do, we're going to study Luke's intro to his book. Um, as I mentioned, Luke is the longest gospel. It's, it's the longest gospel, but it's also the longest book by volume in the New Testament. It's the only gospel that has a sequel, um, uh, the book of Acts. And between Luke and Acts, Luke wrote a majority of the New Testament. I mean, Paul is generally attributed as writing most of the New Testament, but, but in reality, in terms of number of words, Luke wrote more just in two books. And if you've, you know, obviously, hopefully you've all read Luke's gospel and you've read Acts. They're, they're long chapters. I mean, if, if the folks who had divided the book up into, if they decided to, Make smaller chapters, we would have been into the 30s in terms of chapters. Um, and though Luke and Acts were both written to this unknown man named Theophilus, it's the only reference that we have to him uh, anywhere in, in the introductions to Luke and the introduction to or the prologues to Luke and Acts, nothing else is known about this man. And so it seems like he may be well off. Uh, he's described as most excellent Theophilus, um, although that could just be a, you know, it could be, a, you know, to put it somewhat 
not crassly, but you know, in a more common parlance for today, it could be sort of like my, my homie um, Theophilus, you know. So you might be, you might, you know, or think of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, excellent adventure. Um, but but it's pro- it could be that he's referring to him in this way because of his social status or even his economic status. Um, Theophilus may be Luke's patron in terms of helping to pay the bills. Theophilus might have requested for Luke to write a history of. The, the new church and a gospel. So we don't know those things. But interestingly, um, though it's addressed to Theophilus, um, Luke and Acts, they fit almost perfectly on a standard length scroll, um, which indicates that Luke knew that his gospel and the letter, his book of Acts was going to be become, maybe not, not in the sense become part of the canon, but he knew that it was going to be read. Scroll length. Um, and, I, and I don't have the exact, I was trying to look it up, I read it, it's one of the things I was reading, and I saw that, I was like, that's a great piece of information, but I didn't mark down where I got it from, and I, I was just going back in my office to try to find the reference again. Um, but the significance of that, it's not just a, it wasn't a series of, you know, they, they didn't use sheets of paper the way we do, I mean, typically they'd write on scrolls that were long, um, and so he, 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 he wrote it just the perfect length that the scroll, it would fit on one scroll, and both of these books are the same way, um, and and the the implication there is there, there's it's, there's no like definite proof, but the implication is Luke was aware that this was going to be read publicly, and so he he's writing it for this man, but he's writing it for a wider audience. Um, not again, not a lot is known about um, Theophilus. It's possible that he was uh, a Gentile or a, a like a God fearing Gentile, meaning a, a Jewish proselyte or I'm sorry, a proselyte to Judaism, um, uh, but maybe not had not gone the full way. Um, but but he's apparently some, for some reason expressed interest in this new sect, uh, you know, what they considered a sect of Judaism, Christianity. Okay, so one of the things that I want to do is ask you lots of questions. So be ready. Would you put your thinking caps on? Um, I don't want any one person to dominate. Um, and so I'm going to, you know, I may not call on you directly, although I may, who knows? We'll see. We'll see how things go. Just be ready. Just be ready. Think about this. I want to get you, because one of the things that we want to, we want to learn how to do is how to, how to interpret the Bible, right? And so it's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you, okay, this is what the Bible says, but, and, and, but not tell you how I arrived at that conclusion. It's another thing to, 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 to walk through and learn how to, ask questions of the scriptures and, and try to arrive at at least a tentative understanding. Now, you've got to be careful because interpreting the Bible in isolation from the church is dangerous. And people, every heretic in the history of the church has decided, hey, you know, it's the one man in his Bible. So every heretic in the history of the church has said, hey, I know what this passage means. If they do it in isolation from the rest of the church, in other words, it's the church's duty as a, as, as a whole, past, present, and future, to interpret the scriptures, right? It's not the work of an individual. The Bible wasn't originally given to individuals. It was given to the church. The church had it. People couldn't afford personal copies of the Bible. And so it's the work of the church as a whole to interpret scripture, right? So I want to I help equip you... <laughs> With that, but I also want to encourage you to have humility as you approach Scripture and in your interpretation of Scripture, recognizing that you may be wrong. And if you and if you if you take your interpre- interpretation and you compare it to the way that the church has interpreted Scripture, 
through its history, and you're all by yourself, you better have the humility to say, okay, I'm way off base here, and I'm, I'm in danger. Right? So it takes, it takes humility. Okay, so, um, first question for y'all. How do we know that Luke is the author of the gospel? Does it say anywhere in Luke's gospel that Luke wrote it? Maybe the end. Maybe the end. There's a tentative answer. <laughs> I appreciate the fact that you didn't say it with great boldness, Eric. Because I flipped pages. Right. So we have maybe the end. Are there any other suggestions? Anybody want to phone a friend? <laughs> Look it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, Albert. I'm thinking about Acts. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. I don't know if he just mentions the. No, I don't know. In the first book, definitely. And it's obviously because yeah. of Theophilus. All right, somebody pull out your phone. If you've got a Bible app, do a search for Luke. Somebody real quick. Who's got a Bible app on their phone? I know John Chitty does. Anybody else? Do a search for... Oh, uh, Sylvia does. Do a search for the, for the name Luke. It's only Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Philemon. All right. Um, Daniel, looks like you're there. Are you there? Read Colossians. Read the passage of Colossians where his name shows up. Uh, Luke, to love and greet you as the Okay, so Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as the... We'll get to that next week, Lord willing. That's the plan. Um, Luke, the beloved physician. Okay, that's how we learn that Luke is a physician. Um, right there, that passage, the only reference. Although there's some... There's some terminology in the gospel and in Acts that sound like it was maybe written by a doctor. Um, um, so, and then uh, 2 Timothy, what was the 2 Timothy reference? Anybody want to read that one? Who's got that one? What was it, 2 Timothy? I've got it in my notes, actually. Um, uh, yeah, 2 Timothy 4.11. Uh, Luke alone is with me. Uh, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Yeah, so Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you. And come. <laughs> and then the Philemon reference. Um, who's got that? Anybody got Philemon 20, verse 24, I believe? Yeah, Philemon 24. Who's got that? Do we want to make Daniel read all three? Come on, Daniel. Let's go. All right, John Chitty in the back. John Chitty in the back. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. There you go. Fellow workers. And that's a key phrase. Fellow workers there. Um, it can also be, the term could also mean something like missionary colleague. In other words, Paul is counting Luke as almost a peer of his, right? So, no mention in the Gospel of Luke, of Luke's name. How in the world do we think that Luke wrote this Gospel and the book of Acts? Yeah, John. I have a guess. Okay. If Luke was associated with the book of Acts, Mm -hmm. in the book of Acts, there's a lot of references to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul and, or, you know, anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, okay, so, so John, everybody hear that? Was everybody able to hear what he said? That there's so, so if, if, and definitely Luke and Acts are associated, clearly. You read the, somebody read, turn to Acts 1, and somebody read the first couple of verses of Acts 1. In the book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do, or in the first book, I see, there we go. to do and teach 
until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Yes, yeah, so, so in the first book, i.e. my gospel, so forth and so on, right? So, so there's a definite connection between these two books. Let me read you, I meant to read this earlier. Let me read to you the, the dedication of the prologue to the gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So that's, that's the connection. Okay, so Luke, Acts. They go together, brother. I mean, it, um, Luke and Acts go together. It's very profitable to read those two books consecutively. One, you know, going straight from Luke right into Acts. Yeah, Monica. How long has the book been called? That's a good question. So Monica's getting to kind of another heart. So we have some, we have some internal evidence that suggests that Luke is the author of these books. Um, the we passages versus the they. So up until Acts chapter 16, it's all they. The pronoun there, the plural pronoun is they. It changes in Acts chapter, let me see, I've got it somewhere, Acts chapter 16, verse 10. And it's not consistent through the end of Acts, however. But in Acts chapter 16, verse 10, it's the first time the, the use of the word we, the, the word we is used. In other words, the author of the book is, is part of the party to which these events occurred. All right? He's there now. But, the, but that, it goes from uh, Acts 16, uh, 10 to 17, stops back to the they. And then Acts chapter 20, verse 5 to 21. Uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20, verse 5 to chapter 21, verse 18, uh, and then 27 and 28. Those are the we passages as far as I could determine. So it's actually not that many, but it definitely suggests that Luke was, he was involved, he was there. He was, I, he was an eyewitness to some of the events that took place about which he writes, but not all of them. Um, so getting back to Monica's question then. So the, the gospel is pseudonymous. Pseudon, wait a minute, can I pronounce that right? Pseudonymous. Um, um, it is, the, the author is unknown. He chose not to attach his name to the book, both Acts and Luke. But many, many of the books of the Bible are, are that's not that uncommon, right? Um, but as early as um, 200, so AD 200, as early as the year 200, the book was designated as the Gospel of Luke. Um, uh, in the oldest Greek manuscript of the gospel, the Papyrus Bodmer, uh, also known as P75. So it's, it's, that's, that is the oldest Greek manuscript. And in that manuscript, it's, it's titled Luke. So within, we're talking 100, and, well, depending on where you date it. So I date Luke at around 62, give or take, um, AD 62. So within 140 years. But even earlier... Um, uh, the Muratorian Canon, which is the earliest known collection of New Testament books, oh, that's, that's dated to the late 2nd century, so that's around 8200. It identifies Luke as the author. Um, and 2nd uh, century writings of Irenaeus, it identifies. Irenaeus, I don't remember his dates. So I want to say mid-2nd century, so we're talking somewhere circa 150. Um, uh, he, so with, you know, possibly within 70, 75, 80 years, Luke is already being identified as the author of this gospel. So very early. Um, and early enough that there's really no reason. I mean, there, there's no good reason to say, ah, I doubt Luke was, the, I doubt Luke, the beloved physician, the fellow worker of Paul was the guy who wrote it. Because um, there's, there's nothing, 
The only thing, if, if you were going to suggest otherwise, the best you can do is just conjecture um, and you know, kind of throwing things together. So, um, I've already kind of, I've already kind of uh, uh, tossed out the date at which I, I think it was written. But, th- but some people think it was written as late as AD one fifty. Um, those tend to be the, on the on the spectrum of conservative to. So I guess I should say, well, you guys are on. That's so you're conservative to liberal. Um, the later dates generally are held by liberal scholars. The earlier dates by conservative. Um, I mean, that's kind of the way it goes with any uh, dating of New Testament books. And so, um, so about it, the latest that anybody thinks it was written was around AD 150. About the earliest is around AD 62, 63, somewhere around there. That, and that presupposes that Acts was written about around 65. So, so Luke is referencing the fact that um, in Acts, that Eric read to us, that prologue to Acts, um, he's referencing the fact that he's already, Luke has already sent Theophilus that earlier writing, and now he's following it up with this one. So it presupposes a writing of around AD 65 of Acts. And, a, uh, uh, and the reason for that is, the reason... Um, that they think it was probably around 65, certainly before 70 AD, is because there is no mention in the book of Acts at all about the, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And, and that is a significant occurrence. The, the, the Jewish people have never forgotten that. Like, they still talk about it as if it were yesterday. Those who, I mean, those who, the Orthodox Jews, those who are steeped in the religion, they speak of AD 70 as if it were yesterday. And so it's almost inconceivable that, um, that Luke would not mention that. If he's writing a history of the early church, it's almost unimaginable that he wouldn't mention the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. So that's, so that, that's kind of how you get to some of those dates. And um, when you start thinking about that, it's pretty amazing that you know, Irenaeus somewhere, I mean, somebody could probably check his dates, maybe a little later than 150, but even so, within 150 years, the book is generally regarded as written by Luke, and it's accepted by the church. The Muratorian canon, was the, that was the, the original um, kind of first canon of the New Testament texts. Um, it wasn't complete. It didn't have all of the books, and I don't remember the specifics of how many books were in it, but um, those are the books that early on are being regarded as the church, as holy writ, as scripture. And Luke's right in there with them. Yeah, Irenaeus or Irenaeus. Yeah, I always pronounce it Irenaeus. Um, yeah. Okay, so that that answers the question. Uh, um, uh, so I, I, let me. I, I, I mean, again, we can only speculate, right? Um, I think Luke was not interested in having it in becoming a celebrity, <laughs> quite frankly, which I think is commendable. I think if somebody today were, were you know had a similar experience and were writing those Luke and Acts. They would have had their name all over it because that's all all we want is attention. It's almost we can't even comprehend. It's so difficult for us to imagine somebody who wrote such a two monumental works as Luke and Acts and has no interest whatsoever in being known for it, which I think is there's a there's a theological lesson in that. You know, you could take that a long way. Um, So, okay, so thinking about what we read um, in the in the the prologue here. and what we read, so Daniel very helpfully read read to us uh, the, uh, the the Colossians and First Tim- or Second Timothy passage. John read to us the Philemon. What do we know about Luke? 
Well, I mean, what do we really know? Well, um, he's only mentioned by name three times. We've already, we've already covered that. Um, he's a physician, uh, Colossians 4.14. He's a fellow worker or missionary colleague of Paul. That's in uh, Philemon 24. And that I, uh, missionary colleague is kind of, it's a, I would, I would say that's like a dynamic, dynamic equivalent of the, of, the, of the Greek there. It's not a, maybe not a literal translation of the, of the words. Um, um, he was faithful to Paul when others abandoned him. He was loyal. Um, and also uh, the we passages, which we've already talked about there. Um, so he was, he was there and, and saw and, and, and suffered in, in some of the same ways that Paul did. Um, but think about this, um, Luke. So I was going to get to this a little bit later. Um, Luke and Mark overlap by 35%. So if you, if you were to get a, I, some of you may have, it. I've got a copy of the, the Gospels in parallel form. So, you know, um, it's interesting to look at them. I didn't come up with these, trust me, I did not go through and do the math on these. I looked, a commentary talks about this. So uh, Luke and Mark overlap by about 35%. So in other words, um, 35, let me see if I get this right. Mark contains 35% of what's in Luke. Right, so so in other words, Luke has sixty five percent more data. That's a that's kind of a crass way of putting it than than Mark does. Um, they, they they so there are a number of of stories, par- parables, accounts that overlap, but Luke then has a lot of stuff that doesn't. I mean, John's even more. Like if you the four John just <laughs> he's got so much stuff in his gospel that wasn't in the other three. Um, that it's you know it's pretty astonishing. Um, Luke and Matthew overlap by about twenty one percent. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff that Luke has in his gospel that aren't in the first two. Um, and again, he's not. Luke is not trying to say these these, these were insufficient. Luke is um, he he is a. I mean, I hate to say it this way exactly. But he's a primitive scientist, and I don't mean that in a. I mean, he's not a modern scientist. But he, he approaches things in a very a very systematic, careful way. He observes things, and and he's and he's I think he's he's very careful about the way that he approaches things. When, when he this has been pointed out by many others, but when he writes in Luke two, and we'll get to this in a couple of weeks. I think I'm gonna, I, I I don't have it out in front of me. I think it's Luke two. It might be I believe it's Luke two. Maybe it's Luke three. He writes that Mary, when she's, all of these things have happened to Mary, and it says, and she pondered these things in her heart. Or maybe she stored them up in her heart. How in the world does Luke know that? That's, I mean, I mean, Jesus knew things that were going on in the minds of other human beings, but not many, and so many have suggested, well, Luke very well may have gone and interviewed Mary, may have, might have sat with her and interviewed her. And there are a couple of other insights that are just, it's you know when you start to think about the the details that he includes that the other gospels simply don't. It's fascinating. So so Luke is aware. He's aware of Matthew. He's aware of Mark. He's aware of other oral traditions that are out there about Jesus. That, and, and John also you know we talked about this when, pre- when I preached through John's gospel several years ago. That John says there are there is enough out there uh, stories about Jesus that if I were to write them all down, there aren't enough books in the world to contain it. And so there, there's. I mean, you have to understand this, this man, the, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is so remarkable. He's done so many incredible things, miraculous things, his teachings, all these things that, 
um, uh, people are talking about it. And, and, and they want to get it down. They want to get these things recorded, written. And Luke wants to provide an orderly account. And so not only is he aware of Matthew and Mark, um, not John was probably written later, um, uh, but he's also aware of the stories that are circulating, some of which are not correct. And that's the, you know, you have the, the Gnostic Gospels, which have, were excluded from the canon. The Gospel of Thomas, I think, is one of those. They're excluded from the canon because they, there's no, um, they're so far out. Um, it's just kind of like, these are bizarre, um, some of the stories that are in them. It's not to say that you ought not to read them, just don't treat them as scripture, but um, they, they contain some interesting stories in them. And, um, you know, some of them sound almost like some of the stories that were told about the Buddha, you know, um, the things that Jesus did. Um, and you think, wow, this is kind of strange. Um, but but it may be that Luke is also trying to correct what he fears is going to get in the record. Again, hence, he's writing on scrolls that he knows are going to be read publicly. In my introduction, it says he wrote the book after carefully investigating. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. I mean, yeah, he was, he spent, and you know, he's with Paul. Paul knows stuff. Paul has stuff revealed to him specially that nobody else got. Um, but he also, Paul is, Paul is another careful student. Um, and so Luke is, yeah, Luke is a, I mean, he, he's, you know, I said a primitive scientist. He's a scholar. I mean, he, 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 he sits at the feet of people. He listens and he, and he records their stories and he, uh, I mean, frankly, does a great job. So, um, Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I haven't heard that exact quote, Jim, but I mean, it's, I don't think you can objectively, I mean, unless you just have an axe to grind, if you're being objective at all, you can't read Luke and Acts and go, holy cow, this guy, he, he was, I mean, if you read Luke and then you read Josephus, Josephus is considered this great Jewish historian. He's writing, I think around, don't quote me on this, around 100, AD 100, give or take, somebody may know better than I do. But Josephus is almost unreadable. It's just, it's, I don't, maybe it's the translation, you know, not as, I mean, you know, for better or for worse, there are a lot of, there's a lot of effort been put into translating the Bible and probably not as much put into translating the works of Josephus. But I just, I don't know. It's just not, Luke is, as an ancient historian, he's, a, he's an excellent writer. And his writing, his history stands up you know, to anybody else, um, even in the modern world. Um, so I think there's a, yeah, I think that's a great, a great uh, insight there. Um, I like that you said he may very well have interviewed Mary. That's, that's, I never thought about it like that. that's the conjecture of some, you know, and I don't think, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, Mary would have, I mean, there's a, you know, many things that the Catholic Church gets wrong are based in, something that's good, right? So it, it's, a, it's a perversion of that which is good. There, th- Mary, I think, rightly <clears throat> would have been regarded very highly among those in the early church. Um, you know, we don't have to, we don't, in other, we don't have to denigrate Mary and say, oh, she was, you know, some kind of trashy girl or whatever just to, just to get at the Catholics. You know, we don't have to do that. They, t- they take it too far in their, their Mariology they go too far. The perpetual virginity of Mary. And it's like why you don't have. It's, it, that just takes it to an extreme. That's not necessary. She didn't have to remain perpetually a virgin for the rest of her days. Um, but all that being said, we can 
We can honor her without venerating her to the, to the extent that the Catholics do, without essentially worshiping her. Um, we, can, we can honor this woman who it seems as though Luke honored by spending some time with her and learning about her. Because, you know, she, I mean, as far as women in the history of the world go, she's pretty much the most unique. <laughs> um, there's, nobody who, there's nobody else. Um, and so I think we, she is a mother in the faith. And we're called to honor our fathers and our mothers. And I think that it's appropriate. I think, um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if all, if Luke, at all if Luke did. Um, so um, what, what can you learn then? I, we've already touched on this a little bit, but what can you learn about Luke from his style of writing? Uh, just based on what, you know, the, the prologue we read, your time reading through Luke's gospel and Acts, what can you learn about this, this man? And this is just... You know, those of you who are literary types, speak up. Those of you, you who aren't, speak up. What, what, what do you learn about he's this man? Motivated. Yeah, he's motivated. He's motivated, yeah. correct. He's very motivated. I mean, he, was, he was excited, let's say, to record, report, seek eyewitnesses. Yeah. I yeah. think there's some references. I was just digging around. Mm-hmm. Some are still alive today. Right, yeah. And that, that's huge. Mm-hmm. So... So when they're mentioned in first mm-hmm. person, I guess they're still alive, right? At right, at the writing of it, yep. Yeah, so yep. again, I'm sketching that mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's motivated, and he's motivated too. If you think about it, he, he wasn't content just to sit on the sidelines. I mean, Paul describes him as a fellow worker. like a, a, He's a missionary. He's out there with him. And maybe he didn't suffer all the stuff that Paul suffered, but nobody suffered all the stuff that Paul suffered. So that's not, you know, that's n- nothing against Paul. Um, so he's, he, he, did, he wasn't content just to go... I'm going to sit over here, like, the, you know, um, he gets involved. I want to go meet that guy. Yeah, I want to go meet that guy, but I also want to evangelize people. I want to tell people about Jesus, you know. So he's, he's yes, he's, a, he's an historian, of, no doubt. He's also, as a physician, he's, I mean, there's a reason he's known as the physician, um, my beloved physician, or the beloved physician, is because he's taking care of people, too. He's out there with Paul, probably binding up wounds and stuff like that. Yeah, Josh. I think I, could, I would also speculate that he probably could have had a, Comfortable, mm. maybe even a relatively wealthy life mm-hmm. outside of the church if he wanted it, because it seems like yeah. he was very skillful. Yeah, that's and a so yeah. He may have had to give up quite a bit in order to preach the gospel and because yeah. I know there wasn't a lot of money in writing the gospel. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if Theophilus was a patron, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe he was helping to support their missionary endeavors, and he might have said, "Hey, would you would you mind putting this stuff down for me?" You know, yeah, but that's a very good point that he that he. I mean, it seems as though he is well-connected. He's very intelligent. Um, physicians were highly regarded in the ancient world. Um, esteemed, um, and, you know, even kings and emperors need physicians, you know. So, um, and that's why physicians even today still have a status among society. I mean, I think they're doing a lot to undermine it, but, but still, they have a status um, that, because they're regarded, they, they, if they're doing it right, they're going in and helping people who are in need. And, so yeah, I think that's a very good point. What, what else can we learn about Luke? Um, okay, Sylvia, Julie, and then Robert. I see Robert's hand or John. Yeah. Okay, is it Sylvia? What? Uh, I, I like how he writes like in dialogue, like a play, like you're seeing it unfold, you know, the Mary and Elizabeth part. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Interper- any, you know, personal, mm-hmm. not just here's the facts and here's his uh, you know, genealogy. Very into the personal. Yeah. Side of the story. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. He's clearly he's got. It's not. Um, it's not clinical. It's very. It's very up close. Yeah. He's got involved in these people's lives. Yeah. 
Yeah, Julie. Well, and alongside the, the, in, the personal aspect, he <clears throat> inserts very specific dates and people. Yeah. So, so you can go back and you can find mm -hmm. historic, even today we can find mm -hmm. historical artifacts that verify right. the truth that Pilate was a real yeah, person. Yeah, right. Herod is a real person. Yeah. Um, and like when he starts, is it chapter 3 or something? He references like in the 15th year of the reign of the very yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he, he wants he he understands. I mean, that's that's something he understands that that people in later generations are going to be looking back on this and trying to figure out when did this all happen. And so he's giving that external reference point so that even pagans can track. Yeah, that's a very that's a good point. I hadn't really even thought about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Robert. Yeah, one thing I need to dovetail into some previous comments about Luke's you know status as a physician and an educated person. Well, that could have been prospering. Uh, if you compare his Greek with the Greek of a lot of the other writers in the New Testament, it's highly sophisticated. Mm -hmm. A lot of vocabulary in there that, you know, native English speakers trying to translate the New Testament uh, find a lot of difficulty mm -hmm. translating Luke because he uses so many so many words and so many things that the other writers are very much like see spot run. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so he was, he was a native Greek, he was fluent in Greek, and he was obviously an educated member of society and, and you know and, and that just kind of uh, supports the whole idea of him being an upper class scientific scientifically minded physician mm -hmm. who was you know converted to the faith and devoted his, 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 his brains to furthering the gospel as well yeah that's a that's a good point yeah and it's yeah it is evident you read it so he's no he's no dummy yeah. comment as Brent Gordon on all this uh, mm -hmm. yeah Luke was not a stupid man obviously he he was aware of the times and he was probably anticipating mm -hmm. the fullness of the scriptures mm -hmm. because he was a gentile as right. has been said looking in with envy and now so he's motivated to see this puzzle come together mm -hmm. now he's like eureka yeah and he wants to help others yeah. right i mean he's writing to theophilus you know what does he say there um uh, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. He, he wants to, he's writing as an aid to other people to help them get this all pieced together. Yes, Suzanne. I thought I should know this so I don't kind of stupid. Where did you get his education? I mean, that, I don't know that anybody knows in particular because, again, we know so little about him. And I, you know, I would have to do a little more studying. I don't know if anybody knows that off the top. If there are school, he probably studied under a physician, would be my guess, because they didn't have like schools of, you know, medicine or whatever in those days. So he probably, you know, maybe even apprenticed. I mean, the, 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 modern, the modern way of training for of medical doctors, that came about in, you know, the early to mid-19th century. Yeah. I mean, you know, on ships in, in the early 18, late 1700s, 1800s, the ship surgeon often was a butcher, literally a butcher. And they, they brought him on. It was rare that they actually had a physician. But those physicians, I think, typically studied under other physicians, and they just kind of passed it along. And so probably that's where Luke... We don't even know where Luke was from in particular, how he fell in with Paul. You know, we, we really don't know when all that happened. Um, but, but clearly he, he was well-educated, but probably in a, in a you know, very private sense, like he had a, he had a doctor who was teaching him how to be a doctor kind of thing. Yeah. But, and that, again, goes back to he's an intelligent guy, but he's also well-connected. His family probably... You know, his parents probably knew somebody, you know, and, and that that helped out. Um, does he... I thought I saw a hand over here. Oh, yeah, Bonnie. I think he was very inclusive, too. He wanted to make sure that the Gentiles were... Oh, yeah. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. He puts a lot of emphasis on the role of women. Yes. And prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heavy court. I mean, mm-hmm. he brings in a lot of mm-hmm. different groups. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, it's interesting because if he was a person of high status birth, mm-hmm. his regard for those who are, are lowly, who are um, kind of sidelined. I mean, women in, women in Roman culture were like a step above slaves. I mean, they weren't, they weren't highly regarded. Um, Maybe the noble women, um, but you know, and so yeah, you're right. The the placement, the prominence that he gives to women in both the gospel and Acts, it it's indicative of the fact that Christianity hmm. is unlike anything else the world has ever seen. And for a variety of reasons, and so it's 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 implications for kind of the social order are you know pretty huge. Um, yeah, I think that's a very good insight, um, thinking about that. Yeah, like a continuation of what Jesus... Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And not, a, not necessarily a... You know, there's some who take what Jesus... Okay, he's on a trajectory, we're going to push that trajectory. But just to... I mean, in other words, there, there are definitely attempts to... to um, re... What am I trying to say? To... to uh, undo the expansion. <laughs> you know, like, in other words... Freedoms have been given, and then there are attempts to pull that back into, whoa, whoa, not that much freedom. You know, we don't necessarily have to push the envelope, keep pushing the envelope, but the envelope was pushed further, I think, than, than we realized. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got about five minutes, and I, well, we have less than four minutes now, um, and I've got to be strict on this. So, um, what, looking specifically at the prologue now, what does the prologue to Luke's gospel tell us? What, 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 speci- what do we learn from this prologue? Just a couple of things. You read it, you look at it. What, what are some of the things that, that Luke reveals in the prologue? Or maybe better, the Lord reveals through Luke in the prologue. Yeah, um, Ray. Oh, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> Others have earlier attempted to compile some of, those, mm-hmm. uh, some of the content of that historical. Yeah, others have tried, and, and again, Luke's not saying that they did a bad job at it, so I'm going to try to do better. Although he may be saying, not, I don't think Matthew and Mark, he may be saying for some of the, the, the wackier attempts, <laughs> um, yeah, we want to make sure that things don't go crazy here. But yeah, that's a good point. He's aware, he's, he's, he's sort of adding to the, the record. Um, so, was it Susie, were you about to say something? No? Um, well, yeah, I, Cassandra. I was going to say something similar. Other, other accounts exist. Yeah. There's already the spreading of, well, because even Paul is already talking against, writing against. Yeah. Um, yeah, the false gospels. The false gospels. <clears throat> yep. And so Luke's saying, you know, well, he just whispered in my ear, Luke is an early fact checker, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Luke is, yeah. is saying, these are the things that happened, and so now you can check your other gospels mm-hmm. against this. Yeah. Which is. You know, when you have multiple accounts, and a lot of people try to pit the Gospels against each other, right? I mean, people who try to undermine the, the authority, the, um, uh, what am I trying, the, the inspiration, the authority of the Gospels or of Scripture itself, they pit, you know, they'll pit Paul against James, or they'll pit Matthew against Luke. It's like, well, you know, 
Luke says this and Matthew says that. And we'll get into some of that. We're not going to spend a huge amount of time on that unless you've got questions about it. And then, um, but the main thing to realize is that they're not, they're not at war with each other. The, 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 the accounts are not at war with one another. Specific details are highlighted, highlighted in some and other details in others. And we don't, have to, you know, we don't have to pit them against each other and say, well, Luke got it right, Matthew got it wrong, vice versa, whatever else. Yeah, um, Monica, you were about to say yeah, something. I was just going to say that he said that he was going to write an orderly account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Yeah, he's just, yeah. And it may be that he feels, you know, some of the accounts that are out there are, are if not outright heretical or, or, or just wrong, they may just be jumbled. And he's trying to get a, a not, and you see that progression, it's just a nice kind of linear progression. Yeah. Um, Julie and then, and then Liz, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wants to equip. It reminds me of John. The letters where John says, "I write these things so that you might know. You might know." And there's there are things he wants. And and in John's gospel, he's kind of the same. You need to know these things. And so Lucas can. He's got that evangelistic um, bent, that evangelistic drive. It goes back to what Eric was saying. You know, that motivation. He wants people to know these things. He wants them to have certainty. Because you know, Theophilus, it sounds like he's probably a believer, but believers waver in their faith. And we need that. We need that encouragement. And Luke is very sensitive to that. I think there's a, a great sensitivity to it. Um, I'm just checking to see if there's anything else I wanted to. Um, oh, just one last thing, and I'll close on this. Um, Luke's prologue to Acts makes it clear that those that these two books, Luke and Acts, they are intended to be read together. And some have described Luke Acts as the Acts of Jesus and the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we talk about the Acts of the Apostles, but really, what's going on there? Yes, the Lord uses the, the apostles. The Holy Spirit is the one who's at work. So you have this, you have this, the, the, these parallel accounts of of redemption, uh, sorry, redemption accomplished, Christ, the acts of Christ, of, of Jesus, redemption applied, the acts of the Holy Spirit, and and that's why I think it's, it's very profitable to take these two books together, um, even though we're just going to be looking at the book of Act, of Luke. So, well, let me close this in prayer.